Hey. hey. You're listening to Avid Research. Avid Research. Avid Research. An Australian STEM podcast. Where we answer the questions you never quite got around to asking. Welcome back to the show team. My name's Amelia and today we have two awesome guests on the show. We're just really, really lucky today. We've got Annie Crawley, who is an underwater photographer and ocean advocate. And we've also got Patricia Newman, who is a children's author. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. It's great to be here. It sure is great to be here. Fantastic. Annie, I'm going to start with hopefully an easy question for you. What is your job? So I don't know if that's easier, if that's a tough one for me, because I, I feel like I wear so many different hats, Amelia. I'm an underwater photographer, filmmaker, I'm a dive instructor, and I'm an ocean advocate, as you mentioned. And one of the most important things I think I do is I connect people to our ocean. I like to find all the different ways that we are interconnected and to represent the sea. So I I feel I'm a voice of the ocean. Okay, that's a fantastic start. We're always a fan of the ocean here at Avid Research. Patricia, what is your job? Well, my job couldn't be more different. I'm a children's author. I write books for kids, usually kids in grades four through eight or nine. I love nonfiction, particularly, and I love science. So most of my books deal with some kind of scientist who's discovered an absolutely awesome, amazing thing. Um, I've written three books about the ocean now with three different, uh, through three different lenses. And uh, one of them is Plastic Ahoy about marine garbage. Another is called Sea Otter Heroes about the way that sea otters affect a food chain off the coast of California in the United States. And this other one that's coming out in March is with Annie Crawley called Planet Ocean about how we are, have this unbreakable connection to the sea. This is so fantastic. I'm just, can I ask Patricia, how on earth have you ended up like writing these books? Like what was your path to getting because I feel like for a lot of people listening, this would kind of be a dream job. Everyone loves the idea of writing kids books. It is a dream job. That is for sure. But it's also probably one of the most difficult jobs I've ever had in my life because the children's book market is so competitive. Um, Let's leave the publishing arm out of it for a second and and just work on the creative aspects of, of writing kids books. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I write the kinds of books that I would have want to read when I was a kid. And, and you know, somebody asked me once about, um, I was speaking with a lot of fiction authors and they were talking to me, they wanted me to talk about characters and nonfiction characters in my books are usually scientists or in the case of Planet Ocean, we have indigenous people, we have kids and teens, we also have artists. So I look back on my life and try to figure out, well, geez, Patty, what led you here? And I think it it really stemmed from the fact that in late elementary school, early middle school, I was the target of bullies. And I felt like I had no voice. I was very quiet. I didn't write. I didn't want to share anything with anybody for the for the fear of getting laughed at. So now I look at my books and I think, wow, I'm I'm giving a voice to the voiceless. I don't know what to say. (laughs) That, (laughs) 
yeah, you can see how that could happen though. And I just have to go back because we don't have sea otters here in Australia. You mentioned you did a bit of book about sea otters. Have you got a favourite fact that you could share with us about them? Well, sea otters are really amazing creatures, but the, the thing I love about them most is that because they do what they do naturally, which is eat crabs, they save an entire seagrass ecosystem off the coast of California. And that seagrass ecosystem makes it possible to sequester carbon and capture sediments that would normally go out to sea with a lot of nutrient pollution in them. It, uh, the seagrass protects our coastlines. So these little fuzzy creatures with very sharp teeth who are an apex predator in this one area of the Monterey Bay off the coast of California are really making an entire ecosystem possible. And I think when we learn about these things that we don't know, that we don't know, it it humbles us and it makes us want to find out, well, what else don't we know? That's so true. You ask one question and it opens up this whole like, oh, there's a lot more questions in there. (laughs) Annie, how have you ended up becoming an ocean advocate and helping people draw that connection to the oceans because we've we've sort of mentioned on this podcast a couple of times with other ocean people it can be really hard to get people connecting particularly to things under the water because you just can't see them most of the time yeah Amelia it's a it's kind of funny it's really great that I'm talking to an Australian audience because my my first real connection with the ocean happened in Australia where uh, right after college, uh, right after I graduated from uni, I saved my money for a year and went off to explore the world. And walking down the, the road in Perth, I saw a sign that said, learn to scuba dive. And I followed the signs and I learned to scuba dive. And I had studied journalism at university. And from the first moment that I took my breath underwater, I knew I found home and it was the most fantastic experience I had ever had in my, in my life up to that point. And I think as an adult now, more than 25 years later, I still have that same feeling is that it is the most unbelievable world. And in our society, the ocean is underrepresented in our education system and often misrepresented by the media. And it was a a totally different experience for me. And if you fast forward from that first experience, I stayed in Australia. I lived and worked there for a year. And I went from open water to dive master. And I I quickly found my way to the... uh, to Airlie Beach in, in Queensland. And I spent more than six months in Queensland working and living on boats there. And I I was just in awe of the purple staghorn coral and the rainbow sea and giant Maori wrasse. And I've never, ever lost that feeling from that first time that I went underwater. From that first experience, I didn't come home for four years. I ended up living and working in Bali, Indonesia for a couple of years as a dive instructor, New Zealand, pretty much all over the world. And if you fast forward a little bit from there, I was a a land photographer. But uh, once I came back to the United States, I felt I needed to go, you know, 
back to work and do different things. And I just couldn't break my ocean connection. So I moved from Chicago to California and found my way to along this path that I followed the signs with. I ended up selling my car, buying my underwater camera housings and going and working on live aboard boats around the world to become an underwater photographer and filmmaker. And so it's uh, when I founded my company, it was actually, this is one of the connections that Patty and I have is that I realized that uh, if I would have seen the real ocean that I experienced as I became a young adult, that I would have had a different outlook on what the ocean was. And so I started a company that we create multimedia products about the ocean and to connect people to the sea. And so for me, I think that I started figuring out clues about the ocean and its importance and figuring out ways to tell stories around those. So simple things that people don't know, even on the broad scale today, is a simple fact that phytoplankton creates more oxygen for our planet. Scientists believe 50 to 70% of the oxygen that we need. It's literally every breath we take connects us to the sea. And so for me, when you can find these small connections that literally create a paradigm shift in somebody's mind, the water we drink, the food we eat, literally everything connects us to the sea, travel, trade, commerce, a healthy global economy is tied to a healthy global ocean. And so when we make these kinds of aha moments, it's amazing what happens and how people start beginning begin to understand how much we need the ocean in order to be healthy. So it was like through my first breath in Australia to the work that I do today, it's always remained constant and true that it's it's almost creating this paradigm shift because it had such an impact on me and my life. So thanks for that question. No, thank you for the answer. Again, there's so much in there which is fantastic. But why do you think even in today's age where we've got this access to so much information and so much media and the ocean is really photogenic, like it works great on Instagram, but we still have so many gaps in knowledge in the general population. Have you got any theories as to why that is? So I think it's because it's been so misunderstood and that it's only within the last few decades that we're having a grip on on it. And, you know, people like myself, underwater photographers and filmmakers, they might have started seeing the changes as the first ones, but people used to not want to film trash. They didn't want to film the destruction. Everybody wanted to sell the beauty. And it's one of the one of the reasons why Patty and I connected. I went on a scientific expedition with Project Kaifei and Scripps Institute to the North Pacific Gyre, more commonly known as the Garbage Patch, back in 2009. And Patty read a, ma- um, a newspaper article about the trash detectives, which were the scientists on board that I was documenting. And I came back and nobody wanted to talk trash. Nobody wanted to talk about ocean pollution. And this was just in 2009. 
And now if you fast forward to where we are in today's world, I believe that people are open and ready to hear these messages because, because now everybody is embracing the fact that we have to change what we're doing to the sea. And Patty called me after she read the article, she found me online and she left me a message. And then I immediately called her back because like somebody wanted to talk to me about this and uh, you know, nobody really wanted to, to, to hear about it. And they, and now we know that plastic is ubiquitous. It's all over, you know, the microplastics that are in the ocean are, you know, hair like structures, it's, it's plankton, it's phytoplankton. These are how small it is. And it's, it's in, when we were out, you know, at the time, people were saying that this area of the ocean was like an island, an island of trash. And that's not what we found. We found plastic in every single toe. And I was out at sea for 22 days and we didn't see land once, but we found plastic in every toe. And now if you go to the beach and this is anywhere in the world and you walk along the shore, you're going to find plastic along with your shells. And so that is something that's become part of our society now. And I think that people are more open to messages about the ocean, especially in Planet Ocean. Patty and I talk about these very things that because of the carbon pollution that's happening in our world, coral reefs are dying all over, including in Australia on the Great Barrier Reef. And that is a direct connection to people. And so the beauty still exists, but what we're seeing now is we're seeing more destruction as well. And so blending the knowledge together is more important than ever before. 100%. And you've touched on a whole lot of really important topics there, but I love that Patty just called you after seeing that. That's fantastic. And it sort of sounds like, Patricia, you're the right person to be writing about this because you want to give those voices to the voiceless. Yeah, I don't know if I'm the right person to be writing it, but I, it feels right when I write about the environment and give voice to some injustice. You know, when I'm, when I'm being funny, I look at some of the books that I've written and I think, man, I write about a lot of things that make me mad. So injustice makes me mad. Environmental injustice, the social injustice that happens with poor environmental decisions, all of it I I want to fix. And I feel powerless. And I'm sure a number of the children feel powerless too, my readers. So whenever I do write about plastic in the ocean or something like planet ocean with carbon pollution and all of these other problems such as ocean acidification and and plastic and runoff i feel like i'm obligated to give some hope as well because there is a lot of hope and there are a number a number of people who are working for the ocean who are studying the ocean one thing that annie didn't bring up before is that the ocean is so huge most people don't understand its actual size because the maps that we look at are often wrong. And that's actually the name of the first chapter in Planet Ocean. And while we were researching this, we found that the ocean is less explored than outer space. 
which is a mind-boggling fact, in my opinion anyway. So when taken all together, we have to celebrate these scientists who are finding new things about the ocean, who are using new technologies to study the ocean, who are inviting people like Annie aboard their expeditions to document what is happening, not only the beauty, but the pain of the ocean. And also the, the kids and the teens and the artists who are bringing awareness to ocean issues by some of the actions that they are taking. That's actually going to be my next question is when you're working with the information like there is about the oceans and you're dealing with like years and years of people just wanting to not have to accept that it's not healthy and there's a lot of things that are threatening our global environment, the ocean environment. Uh, I'll start with Annie. How do you maintain hope in the face of all that? So Amelia, I'm trying to work out the best way to answer this question. How do I maintain hope in the midst of this? So I think that back in 2005, when I pitched my first children's book, right, to, it was called Ocean Life A to Z, book and DVD. And I literally had this brilliant idea and I flew to New York and I attended this this uh, big expo called Book Expo of America. And I had a little fake book that I had designed and I had some, you know, fake films because I was a photographer and filmmaker. I always saw this combination of multimedia. I, I like to think that I'm always just one step ahead of where we're going in the direction with these kinds of things. You know, just 15 years ago, people, you know, they didn't, kids didn't know Nemo. They didn't know the the ocean like the way that they do today. And so I feel that there's great hope because in this very short period of time, even though people have created so much destruction, right? I I like to say that the ocean will be fine without us, but we will not be fine without the ocean. We are a small blip in in Earth, in planet Earth that Patty and I like to call planet ocean. We're just a small blip in the history of our world. The ocean will be fine without us. As a matter of fact, it'll regenerate in a million years. But what it won't be good for is it's not going to be good for our children and our children's children. And, you know, that's what we have to change. We have to create this urgency now. And I believe that within the, you know, my ocean bubble that I'm a part of um, and that Patty and the materials that Patty and I create and where we're putting our time and our energy, that there is a ripple effect out. I do believe that that there is this shift happening with Greta and what she's done and our young climate activists all over the world that are rising up and giving voice that, yep, I think that there's great destruction that's happened and that it's really up to us within the next you know few years, 10 years to really make this shift. And I, I have the hope because I'm part of the solution. I'm creating part of the solution. And so I don't let myself fall into despair 
And I really believe that by taking action and as Patty and I have done in this book, Planet Ocean, sharing the voices of kids and teens and encouraging them to speak up and for all of us to speak up, public awareness drives corporate and policy change. And so we literally, the companies will listen to us. Our governments will listen to us if we raise our voices united for the environment. And so I believe that knowledge creates change. And by creating books and films and materials and public presentations and, and Amelia, even you, you know, having Patty and I on your show brings me, just gives me so much excitement because we get to reach different audiences and, and this is a podcast, right? And so there's so many, so many ways that I choose to see the hope in the future for the ocean. And it comes with raising public awareness about, about it. Thank you. Because partly the way you answered that question was awesome because you didn't just say you need to think positively or something. You're like, it's actually by action that you're creating your own hope. And that hopefully is inspirational for the listeners. You, you know, I, I, I really hope so. <laughs> and I don't want to use that word hope. You know, I, 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 I want anybody who's listening to think about what they can do in their life. But what we do as an individual is can only go so far. And that's where, you know, sharing stories and storytelling becomes so important. It's through, it's through this creation of the story that we share with one another and then encourage other people to share their stories with their circles. One of my, you know, one of my friends, colleagues said to me, you know, there are people out there that will only listen to your voice. Only your voice will make a difference in their lives. And so if I can work with other people and collaborate and encourage everybody who listens to my voice, to share their voice with other people, that is how we create the ripple effect and reach everyone. It's through the stories that we choose to tell with one another. And I hope that, you know, knowing that 50 to 70% of the oxygen comes from phytoplankton in the ocean is a mind blow for so many people that they like start looking at the ocean in a different way, but that we will have more plastic by weight in the ocean by 2050 than fish. If we don't reverse our flow, I hope that still upsets people. I want I want people to be so moved by what they learn about the ocean that they choose to take action, not only in their daily lives, but that they're gonna write a letter to a corporation or write a letter to their government or speak out at their city council because that's how we work as a society. So it's not only, as you mentioned, Amelia, that the ocean looks great on social media, it does, but we need to also share the messages of the ocean, both the good and the bad. And I, I love your message that someone out there, is, they're only going to listen to your voice because it's really easy to think, oh, there's much more famous people, like there's Greta or there's... Uh, whoever else I think Leonardo's doing some stuff like it'd be like they're doing it I don't need to or no one's going to listen to me I'm not important enough and I think 
remembering that we as individuals have our voices just as important, whether it's a, a podcast or a blog article or anything. I think that's that's awesome. Patricia, how do you, how do you maintain hope? You said a lot of the things that you're writing about make you mad. <laughs> <laughs> I know I sound like some crazy, but really I'm not. Um, I think... I think what I focus on most is my audience. Who's going to be reading this book? Well, children. And I look to them as our hope. They need to be, they just need to have the basic facts. And taking a difficult science concept such as climate change and bringing it to a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, is a huge challenge, but it's something that I'm very excited about. And in Planet Ocean, I'm very excited about the way that it it ended up because climate change, man, the science behind climate change is complicated, but we have to focus on the ocean. We're talking about a children's book. There's only a certain amount of real estate in a children's book. So I have to focus, focus, focus. That's my mantra when I write. Well, if I'm looking at climate change and the way it affects the ocean, it's really carbon pollution. It's this excess of carbon in our atmosphere that gets trapped and ends up, nobody really knows this, it ends up falling into the ocean and causing a chemical reaction that we all call ocean acidification. We throw that term around a lot, but we really don't know what it means. And it's not as if we stick a toe into the ocean and all of a sudden the ocean is so caustic that it's going to burn us. But this excess carbon pollution changes the chemistry of the ocean just enough that it endangers coral reefs, the way that corals um, pull calcium carbonate out of the water or make calcium carbonate, excuse me, the way shellfish uh, um, make calcium carbonate for their shells, the way salmon are able to sense a predator and avoid it. Well, in, a, in an acidified and ocean environment, salmon foolishly swim right for their predators. And you know how lucky are they going to be to survive if that happens? So it's, it's taking these scientific concepts and, and bringing them to a nine-year-old, a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old, and actually getting them to connect with, wow, I understand this. And once the understanding happens, they can explain it to somebody else. And once they explain it to somebody else and learn to to care about it, that's where we have young people who are then making the transition from caring to protecting. So that's what gives me my hope is the the young readers who read books like Planet Ocean. So really some hope for future generations and their action as well. Have you got any advice for a young person who's maybe watched a few too many documentaries and they're feeling a bit overwhelmed and a bit glum? Have you got any advice for them about how to sort of get out of that glumness and move towards action rather than that sort of like overwhelming, it's too big? It can be overwhelming. You're absolutely right. And I think that in Planet Ocean, we deal with some of that. Annie and I provide a number of ways that kids can become involved. 
through their diet, through talking with their parents about what kinds of cars they drive, uh, how the house is heated, what sort of light bulbs are in the house, um, to what they put in their lunchbox and how they pack it. But we go a little farther than that in Planet Ocean. Um, there's also a section there where Annie in, instructs young readers about how to tell stories visually, how to use their phones, their tablets, their other devices to capture ocean images, their ocean experiences, and use those experiences to tell your story about the ocean. Why is the ocean important to you? Um, so I think that's probably one of the most powerful things about Planet Ocean. And Annie already mentioned that we um, encourage and empower kids to reach out to people who make decisions in their community. The mayor, the town supervisor, maybe a, a congressperson or a, um, a representative at a higher government level. Kids have voices. They can write letters. Um, those letters will be read. So I think that once, this is why I write these books and because this is how I was feeling. I was feeling overwhelmed. How can I fix this? What do I do? And by educating yourself, by reading, by keeping your eyes open for research that's going on, for photos that you can use, things like that, in your own stories, you feel like you are doing something and that alleviates the the tendency towards despair when you're overwhelmed. And for anyone who's listening and is like, this book sounds kind of cool. So it's not released at the time of recording this podcast, but by the time this podcast is released, the book will also be released. And obviously we'll be sharing that on social media and you'll be like, there'll be links in the bio and all that sort of stuff. So if this is sounding like something that you or a young person in your life could do with a little bit of this sort of help and just awesome information. And there's some really beautiful images in there. We'll be sharing that link very broadly so you can check it out. I'd love to follow up with just a couple of thoughts from that same thing. If I think that something that's very important to remember is that, remember, I didn't see the ocean until after college. And it did have such a profound impact on my life. And I realized that there's listeners that they might not live near in or around uh, the ocean, but there is new science out there, Blue Mind Science, that has also emerged in the last 10 years that we feel better when we are near water. And so one of the things I do when I feel really overwhelmed is I go take a shower. <laughs> I, I literally get out into my backyard and I find a tree and I go and hug it and I do whatever I possibly can to get into nature. And even if there's not an ocean in the vicinity, I feel just being outside and being near water makes me feel better. And that sometimes, you know, I realize that we talk about work with this podcast a lot. When you're creating a, a product or a project, 
you know, people say no to you sometimes. And just because you hear no, I kind of look at it as not now, or maybe that wasn't the right time, or that wasn't the right place. I get very frustrated. I try and refuse single-use plastic. And sometimes I just can't. It's so ubiquitous in our life. But it's the fact that I know that it's not right and that I can take action on it that makes me feel good and that I have other friends. There's there's kids and teens in my life that uh, that learned about plastic pollution eight years ago, and today they still don't use plastic water bottles or plastic drink bottles. And I know that's not the overall solution to everything, but they've grown up knowing this way and acting on it since they were young. And I believe that that's the kind of leaders that we want as we're going forward. And not to put it only on the children, but for me, I look at when we create children's products that parents are very involved with what their kids are learning. And so when we can reach kids and have them care so deeply about it, we are reaching parents, teachers, and other leaders as well. And corporate social responsibility is huge within you know, the corporate world. And it's really shifting over the last couple of years that it used to be something that people put on paper. But now companies are really, they're having to own their corporate social responsibility. There's not only companies that are 1% for the planet, but that are trying to offset their carbon. When we go to the airports, we see these messages offset your carbon pollution as an individual, but then companies are starting to jump on this and, and, and being looking at initiatives for offsetting uh, carbon uh, at our, I know that you have big sporting events, you know, I, I'm watching the telly now, very jealous of the Melvin Cup that is going on. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's the tennis, the Melbourne Cup's the one with horses. The tennis open. Thanks for the correction uh, there. My my niece lives in in Melbourne, and she's she's working. Uh, she's working it right now. And so I'm. Just, I can't believe I said the Melbourne Cup. Uh, but no, the tennis open that just happened. And, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but you guys are able to open in a way that we have not been able to open. And when I think about how united we are and the, the, the shifts and changes that we've really become more of a global citizen than we used to be. I, I, I believe this uh, truly that we're starting to look out for one another. The Melbourne Cup just threw me off my train of thought, Amelia. So help me get back. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. Uh, so global citizen and something I was going to follow up with was that I feel like to take action with the oceans and these like huge scale problems where you have got like a multinational corporation, whether it's Coca-Cola or Mars or whoever, like you need to be thinking globally to take action on the oceans because it's so interconnected. It doesn't follow the rules of any kind of boundaries. It's really interesting. The turtles and the sharks and the whales, you know, they do not know the international boundaries that we put upon the ocean and that, you know, the sustainability of what, you know, we do with our fishing practices. And you're, you're correct in saying that, that the animals, they go through 
you know, they migrate thousands and thousands of miles every year, and they're going through many political boundaries that people have put upon the ocean, but that the ocean animals don't know. And the water itself doesn't know. It doesn't stop at one boundary. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Yeah, you can draw as many lines as you want. but um, And I have to say, I love the, the title of that first chapter. It's a, it's a good hook. Glad you like it. Glad you like it. So. Now, you don't often read in a children's book that something's wrong, do you? <laughs> but I think it's so important. Like young people need to be exposed to the fact that a lot of things aren't set. And just because we've said something's true for a long time doesn't mean science is going to come along, isn't going to come along and be like, well, actually. Yeah. And, and um, I'd like to just mention we have uh, QR codes that link to videos within the book as well. And I think that one of the things that how we were talking about the boundaries, you know, and the ocean doesn't know these boundaries, what happens in the Arctic connects to Australia and Indonesia and the South Pacific, what happens in the Arctic connects to the Pacific Northwest. And we have a visualization that people can access online. It's also on YouTube that shows in real time the melting of the polar ice cap over the last couple of decades. And when you, when you can see this visualization, there is no denying the change that's happening and that we're going to see within the next few years. And all that we're experiencing to our polar vortex moving farther south here in the United States to the dry heat and the forest fires happening in Australia. You know, we're all connected. We are all connected. And this huge climate experiences and changes that are happening, we're going to see more and more of them. And this is related to the warming of the, the global ocean. And again, for anyone who's starting to feel a bit overwhelmed and like it's all doomed, it's not all doomed just yet. There's still opportunities for like action. It's, it's not all over. <laughs> Come on, Patty, jump in there with some hope. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm listening to that. It definitely is not all over. I think that what we've got in Planet Ocean with uh, children reading about these these problems is sometimes all it takes is awareness to change people's mind about something. And when you actually figure out the problems that are going on and what is causing them and how human beings are the focus of much of that cause, it's easy to say, wow, if I just do this, I will be helping. I will be making it better instead of worse. Maybe you're not making it better on an enormous scale, but that's where we go back to raising our voices to somebody who's a decision maker. So these kids that are reading Planet Ocean today are going to be voters in a few short years. And they will have the means to make informed decisions about their elected officials and what their elected officials really stand for. There are a number of teens um, that we interviewed 
in Planet Ocean who are already voting age, and they are making a difference. They're speaking before House subcommittees in their state assemblies or to the U.S. Congress. They're writing books. They're standing up and making videos. There are little kids in Indonesia who go out to their beach every single Sunday and clean up the trash that washes in on the tide. And they recycle that trash at a trash bank and make other plastic products from this recycled plastic. There's a a composer in Florida named Stella Sung who wrote an entire symphony. Oh, it's so beautiful about noise pollution and it and its effects on marine mammals such as whales and dolphins who use echolocation to find each other and to find food artists who are making sculptures out of plastic to to increase awareness once people see these things their eyes are opened and they're never the same again because of that experience of of being part of that awareness. So I think if we all just stick together and keep hammering, keep beating that drum, keep talking to our politicians, keep voting for people who are going to make the the hard decisions, the decisions necessary to save our our planet, our planet ocean, that I I think we'll eventually get there. I I feel I feel optimistic about this. There's a, one, one thing that I'd like to add in here. Uh, I remember uh, several years ago, there was some scientists caught a turtle and there was a painful YouTube video we all watched of them extracting the, the straw from the turtle's nose. And that was painful for that, that one turtle. And there's many other turtles that ingest plastic. But that negative experience for that one turtle created a lot of action to raise awareness about plastic straws and single-use plastic that is floating in the ocean. And so I would like to say that when we learn about negative things happening to our planet that create such gut-wrenching ugh and that we don't want anybody to lose hope or to fall into like, oh, there is no hope. When I'm saying, look at that visualization of the polar ice caps, when I saw that, it created such an urgency in me to get the message out. That's what I'm hoping it does for other people. I don't want anybody to fall into a negative downspin because that doesn't do any good for any of us. We really, when we get awakened to the issues that are important to life as we know it, I want to inspire others into action because through the action that we are able to take, just, just talking with you, Amelia, it it, reaching different audiences. It's so important that we all feel that we can do something and that it starts with us, but that I also don't want to put the, the onus on us either that it's, it's by raising this awareness of how it is happening all over our world that it will make us take action all over our world. There's a quote from one of our young teens um, in our book. His name is Aji Piper, 
and he was part of a lawsuit or still is part of a lawsuit with a bunch of uh, students suing the U.S. government over their lack of uh, a plan for climate change. The suit's been going on for some time now. But in, in Planet Ocean, Aji says, I'm not advocating for climate change. I'm advocating for human change. And I think, man, this kid is 17 years old and already he understands it. That, that, it, my friends, that is our hope. He is just such an amazing kid. He's just one of the many amazing kids in our book. But I'm not advocating for climate change. I'm advocating for human change. What a powerful message. I, th- I think both of you have touched on it, but basically like it's a team effort to solve this one because it was, it was a group effort to create the problem and to create all these problems. So it's going to have to be a group effort to fix it. It's not like you sitting at home, you must change everything. It's de- definitely, this is a team thing. And it's a marathon. This is not go out and change everything immediately right now. It's You need to do it sustainably for yourself too. And I think we need to understand that it's a team thing, like you said, like most things in life. Any scientific experiments that get done are team things. Any Anything worthwhile that has happened in our world is a team effort. Nobody works in isolation. So I think that with uh, bringing in Annie's comment from before that we are global citizens, the ocean touches all of our lives, that the important message is advocating for human change, but doing it as a team. And that kind of sums it up quite beautifully. I am curious, though, how did you both decide to write this book? I think Annie and I were in, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Annie, but I think we were in a blizzard in Denver, Colorado, trying to navigate from one appointment to the other in our, our rental van when we were researching zoo scientists to the rescue. And to kind of distract ourselves, we started talking about a book on the ocean. And I think that's when it first started and it kind of evolved into something that I wanted a particular spin on it. And, and and I think Annie came up with the spin. The ocean story is our story. So throughout the book, it's not an all about the ocean kind of book. It's about the planet ocean is about our connection to the ocean, all the different ways that we are connected to the sea. It just seemed so perfect to use Annie as a character in the book because she is such a brilliant photographer and filmmaker. She's an advocate for the ocean. She works with a dive team up in Seattle, Washington, um, and is creating ocean ambassadors uh, through that her efforts with that dive team. And Annie seemed like the perfect guide because she knows people all over the world who are working on behalf of our ocean. So I won't say that it fell together easily, but but it did fall together beautifully, in my opinion. I, I am very, very proud of what we've created together, and I hope it uh, finds new life in in this world. I'll jump in there, Amelia. It's kind of funny because uh, because so much of this is work, right? So the the pleasure is when you 
get the book in your hands and you get to thumb through the pages and then you get to, you know, we call it, we have book birthdays, you know, and March 2nd is our book birthday. That's when it gets to go out in the world. And so it was a five-year process, I think, from when I first started pitching Patty on the story, because when Patty and I work together, we have different roles that we fill. Um, but on this book, it was so true to my heart that I had been giving these public presentations and I've been sharing all these ocean facts. And Patty is such a brilliant storyteller that I had to help her connect to what I was seeing by having such three vastly different areas that you could write a book just about the Pacific Northwest or about the Coral Triangle or about the Arctic, but to write one book, to put them all together and to be able to weave a story. And through Plastic Ahoy, we were getting across the point of plastic pollution. And through the work that I did with Plastics with Patty with Plastic Ahoy and raising awareness about ocean pollution through that title, it just really, really came came to me that plastic pollution is one of the threats to our ocean, but that this carbon pollution is something that people don't really understand. And it potentially is the unseen, you know, carbon in the atmosphere. You could see it if it's coming off of a smoky truck's back. You know, you could see it when it's coming off of a boat sometimes. But it's a hard thing to wrap around. You could see it if you see really, really smoggy days in different cities. We all have them. That's, you know, this carbon pollution. But it's always around us. And the ocean is a carbon sink. And the ocean has absorbed it for years and years and years. And so part of this process that we do is that we have to work together. We have to give and take our ideas. We have to then pitch it to a publisher. And our editor, Carol, from Learner Publishing is a very close partner of ours. And then there's the entire team that's the art team. And so when we're talking about to create one book, it's also all the people that I went to visit and interview and the different places that we went and the support. I mean, we literally have hundreds of people supporting this title in one shape, form, or another. And then Patty and I is undying, you know, getting it right. Last year, I was swimming with, uh, in Tonga, swimming with humpback whales on a trip, on an expedition. And Patty and I were going first through the first main manuscript change, going back and forth. We couldn't have done it without the internet. We couldn't have done it without Dropbox and Google Drive and everything else that we had to do it. And it was, I'd like to just get across this, it was a process that we had to go through. And when we're talking about work, a lot of things, people think that you're, you know, it, it happened so quickly, but this one was probably a five-year process from start to finish now. And that now the magic is really just beginning because now we get to talk about it and books allow people to have something to hold on to that help them explain that they could go back, they could read it again, or they get the message and then they want to go out and share it with everybody else. And that's what we're hoping to do um, is just open up the conversation, get people excited about our, our ocean and have them want to take action around it. And having that drive, 
has to be part of what has helped you get through those five years because that's a long time to be working on a project. It is, but it's worth it. You know, it's it, the children's publishing industry moves at a glacial pace. And I won't say that we're used to it. I won't say that we like it, but we accept it. We just keep plugging along. And it, we touched every aspect of this book from the text in the chapters to the chapter titles to the captions. I wrote scripts for QR code videos while Annie pulled videos and narrated all of our, our movies. Uh, we wrote a script for the book trailer and, and Annie pulled video clips to illustrate that script. This book was a monumental effort. When I, when you open the book to the very end, you'll see sources. And I have to just pick my favorite sources because the publisher only devotes a certain amount of real estate for, for citations. But in reality, my bibliography for Planet Ocean was eight pages long. So it, it was a monumental undertaking. But once it, our reward is going out into the world with this book, talking to students about this book, um, seeing their reactions, seeing the their eyes open and the wheels start turning in their brains and explaining difficult concepts to them. So it's, it's really a joy. One of your questions here was what gets me up out of bed in the morning? And that's it. It's the way readers respond to the work. We're going to have to start wrapping up. So Patty, do you have anything else that you'd like to touch on that we haven't had a chance to cover yet? You know, I think we've covered most everything, but please reach out to Annie and me on the web. Our websites are accessible, available. Our email addresses are out there for you to ask questions. Um, we'd love to communicate with you. If, you. if you're interested in a school visit, we could make that work virtually too, right, Annie? Yes, absolutely. There's uh, one thing I'd like to throw in that we didn't talk about that we mentioned, though, and this is kids and teens can, or kids can learn to scuba dive at the age of 10. And I know that we are we are water people when we finally find uh, the water. Um, but a lot of people are shocked as to how young kids could become ocean explorers. And, you know, I'd say that if we raised an entire generation of kids that knew that they could learn to swim to go and explore the world, the other 70% of our world, that we would have a different take on learning to swim. Uh, and so think about all the, the one, one thing I'd like to all the listeners to do is just think about their own relationship with water and how can we just make it the most positive relationship knowing how important it is in our lives. I love that. Learning to swim so that we can explore rather than we kind of focus on just surviving. Yeah, good one. Have you got a shout out for us, Patty? Anyone that you'd like everyone listening to give a virtual high five to? Oh, I think that has to be our Planet Ocean team from my literary agent to our editor, Carol Hins at Millbrook Press Learner to the um, amazing art team that worked with Annie and me on the book's design, to the publicist, all the support we received, that they're so behind the scenes. And yet we were talking about working as a team before. It, it takes a village to write a book as well. 
And without their expertise, their cheerleading, the book wouldn't be possible. So I would have to give a shout out to all of those people behind the scenes at Plastic Ahoy. Excuse me for, <laughs> I said Plastic Ahoy for Planet Ocean. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure there was a team for Plastic Ahoy as well. Yes, it was. Yeah, and I think I have to, Amelia, I have to give a shout out to all the places that I've been in Australia scuba diving and my uh, Patty Australasia, where I first became a professional dive master. It was in, you know, Airlie Beach and uh, Queensland. And I, I wouldn't have the path of my career without following that sign and learning to scuba dive in Australia. So my connection is real uh, right right there. And so besides everybody that Patty mentioned and all the different people that we worked with to create this, you know, my life changed when I came to Australia for the first time and it changed in the best way possible. So uh, I would I would just encourage everybody to get out in Australia and go underwater snorkeling, diving, go breathe the ocean, feel the surf. And that would be my, that would be my shout out to the ocean. We have to thank the ocean because without the ocean, we would not be, (laughs) we would not be. So my shout out is for the ocean and everybody who's going to be inspired after listening to this interview to get out and explore the ocean. And I have to say, I feel a little bit proud as an Australian that our ocean is like the ocean that we have here, our local ocean, uh, is so inspirational that it's like triggered this entire career for you. I, I feel a bit chuffed. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. That's how I look at the ocean. The ocean is just the greatest gift to our planet. When we go to outer space, what are we doing? We're looking for water on other planets. Just think about if we could just clean up the water on our own planet. Incredible. So true. Thank you so much both for coming on the show. Annie, inspirational story. Yay for Australian oceans. Patty, you're just doing such amazing work and telling such wonderful stories. So thank you both so much for coming. It's been hopefully inspirational for everyone. Thanks, Amelia. Appreciate you. Thank you, Amelia. Thanks so much for tuning in this year. If you like this podcast, you should head to avidresearch.com.au where you can sign up to our email newsletter. You can also now sign up to our Patreon, which means that if you so choose, you can financially support Avid Research. And I have a massive shout out to our very first Patreon, David Lee, who is a fantastic human being. As a result of being a Patreon, he now gets to ask questions. He gets behind the scenes footage and behind the scenes chats. And he also gets his name shouted out at the end of every podcast. So thanks so much, David. And if you want to be number two, you should head to avidresearch.com.au and click support us on Patreon. That'd be fantastic. 